Welcome to the Complicated by Choices podcast. The perfect complement to my weekly Substack newsletter that delves into a diverse range of social and personal topics through my original art, photography, and writing. Join me, David Coupland, as I seek to gain a deeper understanding of humanity through the choices we make. In each episode, I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life to explore the unique ways in which each of us approaches decision-making, both practically and emotionally. We'll uncover the why behind their choices, and all going well, I hope we can all learn something new and gain a fresh perspective on our own decision-making process. Head over to www.davidcoupland.com for more information on the podcast and the newsletter. Today's guest is Gillian, a leadership development expert and founder of Overtime Leader based in London. Born in Hudson, Canada, Gillian now lives in London where she's dubbed the architect of the unseen. She's passionate about progressive leadership and has made some fascinating choices in her life. Welcome Gillian and thank you so much for joining me today. I'm, I'm so grateful to, to be talking to you. Thanks David, I'm really happy to be here. Um, I, I kind of gave a little bit of a sense of, of who you are, but obviously that's the tip 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 of the iceberg. Um, and I'd love if you could kind of share a bit more about yourself and, and give us a little little bio. It would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, the the long, long shorts a bit is uh, I was born um, into a family business. So my my dad was born in the UK, met my mom who had come over from Canada. They then went back to Canada. He started working in executive recruitment really didn't vibe with his boss and was like, I could do this better, set up his own thing. And a year later I was born. So growing up within a business is, you know, just a fascinating um, experience. And we also joke that I was like born in a blazer and um, I've just loved, (laughs) I love the world of work. I used to play going to the office as a kid. Um, And uh, yeah, just was fascinated in what makes businesses tick. And I uh, went and studied marketing in uh, in Montreal at Concordia University. Uh, then could not wait to get my first job in with the corporate world. And I worked at Avon head office in Montreal. And yeah, I was pretty disillusioned about what was on the other side of, of the world of work. And um, ended up working for my parents again after my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And he was basically signed out of his own company within 24 hours. Um, he's doing phenomenal. Uh, that was one of the benefits of of discovering Parkinson's early on. So we still play golf together, which is uh, something I treasure very much. Um, but uh, losing your founder and the start of a recession in a recruitment company, uh, things weren't going so well. So I stepped in to help uh, bring the business back to life, working alongside my mother. And whatever your parental dynamics are, pick the worst one. And that's what (laughs) the dynamic was like with my mom. So I learned a lot about myself, a lot about team dynamics and stakeholder management when you are related to them by blood. And um, I also inherited a team of people overnight who were a generation older than I was and found it fascinating that even though I was clearly the most inexperienced person in the room, they all looked at me for answers um, because the person prior to me was a very command and control leader and that was the culture that they had cultivated and i couldn't figure out how to well first of all i tried command and control and it really did not fit me well um it's very stressful 
Uh, so I was like, how do I get the team to realize that they have the answers and my job is to facilitate them getting there? Um, so read a lot of books, found the books were extremely aspirational, not practical, and ended up co-writing a book called First Time Leader um, with another author. And at the time also did a started an executive coaching certification. This was a decade ago. So before, you know, coaching was what it is today. And um, realized a couple of things. I wanted my family back. Uh, the working dynamic was just unpleasant. Uh, two, although I can do a recruitment with my eyes closed, it was not my passion. And I really loved um, helping people find their full potential in you know being being great leaders. Also, believe that we really needed a makeover into what leadership looks like and feels like in the world of work. Uh, so I moved to London and. Um, yeah, it's not super, not that straightforward, but I'm doing the quick version. Uh, moved to London and set up Overtime Leader because I don't believe leaders are made overnight and have since worked with companies like WeTransfer, Spotify, Typeform, helping leaders and their teams um, navigate uncertainty, uh, align and grow. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. And yeah, on the side, mentor early stage startups, um, love walking around London and seeing the city, but always up for a new adventure. That's uh, phenomenal, and that's uh, there's a lot of information in a short space of time there. So, but <laughs> thank you for being so succinct. That's great. Um, and um, I, uh, you painted the picture very well of of your family business and that dynamic. And uh, I can, you know, you made it sound quick, but obviously that's that was experienced over many years of your life, um, especially kind of formative adult years. I'm assuming. So, I can I can see why it would have such an influence and, and shaped you so much. Um, but the the bigger thing I'd like to pull out of that is is the the need you saw for a change, like for for a shift in how people approach business and how people approach people. Quite honestly, um, and that's that's really fantastic. They kind of uh, grew into into what you do now, and um, I'm, I'm really pleased that you've you've built such a successful business. And then, so the business that you run now, Overtime Leader. Um, how many people do you employ? What, what's the dynamic of that? And, and you kind of mentioned a few companies that you work with. Can you give us a little bit of a sense of, of just you know how you uh, work with those companies and kind of progress on that journey? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm still figuring it out day by day. Um, what's been an interesting journey in running a consulting company is what you think it's going to be is often just defined by what your clients ask you to do. Um, so what how i work is um you know very often the leadership teams are working fine but they are either embarking on a growth phase um whether that's because they've raised a round of funding and now it's like okay all systems go and they want someone to come in or they ask us to come in to just make sure that everyone's on the same page and i kind of act as like an accountability um, person and leveraging my background on being like, definitely don't do this, do this. Um, I do a lot of internal comms on their behalf to just kind of get the whole organization um, uh, in alignment, I guess. Um, I, I found, yeah, exactly. On message, on brand. Uh, everyone focuses a lot on external brand, but there's so much to be done on internal like leadership brand um, that I think we are often... the people I work with were just so heads down doing the work that we forget that our job is to lead. And that means stepping out of the work and being strategic across, okay, what are you saying versus what am I saying? How do we make sure that everyone knows what they need to be? 
Um, also, one of the products of not doing that well is cross-functional team misalignment, which I've been doing a lot of in the past, I'd say post-lockdown uh, years. So you have like a sales team that are have their way of working and then a design team that they have their way of working and kind of at odds of each other. So I'll often come in and, you know, get people to start talking about what do you need to do a good job versus what do you need? And when you just uncover these layers, Mm -hmm. it's very much built in empathy. Like as much as we build up this picture in our heads that our, you know, counterpart or peer is the enemy that wants to ruin our day. At the end of the day, we actually are just human to human. We're trying to do a good job. We're just playing about it in a different way. So I get people to like have those conversations and then how do we make some agreements and tactical actions to work together? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, one of my proudest achievements is uh, in the first two years of business, I was working across two post um, series A. Uh, so they've raised you know significant amount of mon- money. Um, so very similar phases and in like kind of across a town from one another. And I kept going across Amsterdam back and forth to these two companies saying literally the same thing. Um, I was just on repeat mode. I was like, you know what? This is not effective for me. Um, I'm going to turn this into a a management program and uh, train other people to deliver it uh, as a way of scaling myself because I think that's the hardest part of being a solopreneur. Um, So our management program is very much tailored to this like fast-growing digital-first environment that I felt a lot of traditional programs didn't uh, really address mm-hmm. and are delivered by X scale-up operators, uh, which I think, think is important because if you never worked in a scale-up, you will not know <laughs> the chaos that ensues. Um, ensues, yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's how that's how we work. Yeah. Well, that that's great. And I've um, I have had some uh, bad experiences uh, in all the things that you just described and um, having a having your expertise would have been a great advantage. So um, I'm glad I know you now for if and when it comes up. <laughs> um, okay, so um, we're going to jump into the to, uh, questions a little bit and, and I'm going to start um, uh, your upbringing in Hudson, Canada. Um, how do you think that influenced your choice-making process? And, and I know, you know, you've obviously explained that there's uh, you grew up in this family business and this family dynamic and whatnot, and I'm sure that had significant influence in how you did things, but what about the general kind of culture in Hudson, Canada? Um, how did that influence you, do you think? Oh, significantly. I have um, the special place uh, for Hudson. Um, so Hudson is a small uh, small town um, outside of Montreal. Uh, Montreal is in the province of Quebec, which is 80% French-speaking, and Hudson somehow has maintained 80% English-speaking town uh, with a lot of Brits, a lot of expat Brits. We even have a British store, um, and uh, very small small town, five thousand people, very picturesque, um, and very safe. Uh, my husband, who's from Zimbabwe, uh, Harare, came for the first time and was like, "What is this? Like, um, you know, Pleasantville kind of vibe, where yeah, never worried about any kind of dangers." So. In a lot of ways, it made me extremely naive. I was not exposed to a lot of, um, to anything really. Um, but in other ways, you know, I think it uh, it gave me this like freedom and safety net where like you could just bike to your friend's house without worrying about anything and play 
in the town, like running through the town. Um, but I, I left Hudson intentionally because of the, what comes with a small town mindset. Um, and I think it's, I just found I wanted bigger and better. And it was, I've gone back to Hudson since thinking that I could bring my London mindset into Hudson and live remotely, but um, that obviously didn't work out because I'm now back in London. Um, but I, I really feel like the world is for living and wanted to go, was like chasing the place where I could have the platform to just do whatever I wanted to do, regardless of gender or what I look like. Um, and in a lot of ways, you know, Hudson to this day is a little bit, a little bit back, backwards um, and has some, has some progression to, to do, that's for sure. Right, um, which is which is a key topic for you uh, in life and business, it seems. Um, so, what about the the choice to move to London? What, why London over anywhere else? So, um, because of my my family, I have a British passport, um, but I didn't want to actually move to London. Um, when I got the passport, I knew I wanted to use it. You know, it's such a blessing, so I wanted to make the most of it. And I felt like moving to London, England, anywhere in England would be too easy for me because I was so familiar with it. Um, so I was about to move to Brussels um, <laughs> uh, because I could speak French and had found a flat share on Craigslist. Uh, no job, like nothing. I was just going to go and live with this woman, like in quotes, I hope. Um, and uh, my poor parents, because uh, they were, you know, not thrilled about this idea, but they also didn't stop me. Um, but they did say, "Oh, actually, like, look at this job at Avon. Maybe you should go interview." And that's what held me back from moving to Brussels on a whim and through a Craigslist ad. Uh, God knows where it would be if that had been a path. Um, but I, I didn't, you know, I was so hell bent on moving to Europe that. Uh, yeah, after one year at Avon, the, I was on a contract and my contract was coming up. Uh, and the same day they laid off 100 people, like the marketing team of 100 people, they laid down, laid off 90 of them. So I just assumed that my contract would be definitely over and decided, okay, well, this is a sign. I'm going to take it and I'm going to move to London. Um, turns out they offered an extension of my contract. I wasn't even in the org chart, actually. Um, so they were like, we'd like to extend your contract because we're going to need some help with all the work and, uh, decided I'm like, well, I can stay until my flight, but I've made a decision to move to the UK. Um, didn't start in the, in London. I moved first with family in Lincoln, then Southampton, and then ended up in London where the action is. And so you, you kind of said that it, you felt like it was a bit of a sign, uh, that these, you know, you're likely going to lose your job and then you didn't, did you, did you question your, your decision at that point or were you just you just so sure about what you wanted to do and it was that all you needed was that catalyst to be like okay actually this is what I need to do yeah there was no doubt in my mind um you know I often think what where would you know I always think where would life be if I'd stayed I'd probably be in New York that's where everyone went um that was where you grow grew in Avon um but yeah it was no doubt in my mind I was like very determined to um moved to Europe and I had, you know, older, um, older siblings of my friends kept saying like, oh, I wanted to live to Europe, but then I got a boyfriend or I got a cat and 
that was my worst nightmare um was you know staying in Montreal um so I knew like this was my out I've got to go now and and I went with you know an open return and said I'll try it for six months and see what happens I sold my car I didn't have any savings I just figured it out um yeah and here I am well, that, that's uh, I love that, and um, um, I've I've been I've been to Montreal and Quebec, um, Quebec City, uh, and I loved it. It's beautiful and and picturesque as you describe, and and um, Canadian people have always uh, enjoyed Canadian people and just the the friendly nature of them. Uh, but uh, to to your point, you know, you want to experience more in life. You want to get out there and see different things and meet different people and learn about yourself in different ways, and and staying in your hometown like that is it's impossible to do that in a, any substantial way um so so kudos for you for kind of you know going against the pressures of society where you were and the family and whatnot and it's clearly you've made a, a wonderful life for yourself um in london and um and then we talked um just probably got on about potentially even leaving london now and moving to los angeles um and and so what's the What's, and and I'm assuming with that move though your business would still be your business and you would kind of do it in all these different places. Yeah, that's that's the hope. I have to work out how the U.S. tax system works, but that's all figure outable stuff. Um, yeah, I I um I was saying I went to L.A. for uh, we transferred because they had an office there and when had no expectations, really had a different view of what L.A. was in my mind. Um, landed and was like, wow, I this place is phenomenal. There's a beach, there's mountains, hikes, but also there's a hustle and bustle that's not in your face. Um, and I just thought it was a beautiful balance. I know that LA is not perfect, but no city is is perfect. Um, so put on my Twitter bio that I lived in, uh, my location was LA, Montreal, and London. And uh, put started my husband is not a quick to change person so i've been working on this la campaign for a good five years in the background um but i i think i just felt you know i've been 12 years in london and just starting to feel like itchy for something new i think we can um quickly get comfortable and in a routine and it is it's well, at least I personally find it challenging to snap out of that without some um, significant change. But one of the things that I've learned in moving before is that you're not going to escape your problems moving to a different city. You're not going to become a completely different person in a new city. So balancing like addressing what I want to change about myself, um, but also wanting to just try a new city, try a different culture. Um, Canada and America are very close, but we are very different in how we work. And I think I'd love to, yeah, absorb some of the um, American confidence. There's, there's definitely a lot of that. Um, I, I would I would argue that it's more arrogance than confidence at times. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but look, I, I've lived here for, for seven years. Um, I live in West Hollywood now. And um, as you said, you know, most, every city, every place has their positives and negatives. And there are a lot of positives here. Um, it, they really are, and it's. Um, I, I've certainly enjoyed my time here, and, and I love being here. Um, but that you know, the negatives, of course, um, traffic, and uh, you know, a lot of ego, and <laughs> those kind of things. But but the, the nice thing about this city is because it is so spread out, you can you, you find your pocket, 
and you find you find your little haven um, within the city and you kind of for me and, and my partner we you know we're only ever going out when we have to you know if we can avoid going out or doing things yeah. that, then we do so but but it's it's amazing and, and I'm a big uh, outdoor person I love nature and I love hiking and it really is incredible for that you know I can kind of go any direction 30 minutes and, and I find a nice hike let alone a, an hour and a half two hours plus and yeah it's just some of the most incredible sights I've ever seen in my life um, and it's it's incredible so okay well that, that's amazing um, and it sounds um it, it sounds like you have a, a similar mentality to me actually which is kind of seeking a life of experience and and growth and and learning about new things and people which I I always um, always appeals to me so that's amazing um so let's let's jump into um a bit more about your choice making and how you how you make those choices and you've made a lot of big ones seemingly in in the in your life um do, do you have a do you have a kind of a consistent method for for making those choices and I, I i guess it depends on the situation but let's let's start with the bigger stuff you know those kind of big decisions you've made is it a lot of it in the gut or is a lot of it kind of practical and, and you're kind of going through the motions and making lists i would say it's it's definitely starts with intuition, um, which is something I've learned to listen to um, over the more formally over the years. Um, but when I think of like previous big life decisions, like I just knew that was what I wanted to do, or I just knew that was the right thing. And sometimes that defied traditional or conventional wisdom or advice from people that I respected, but. I, I think you just have this feeling in your core that's like, no, I need to do this. Um, or no, I don't need to do this. Or I shouldn't do this. Um, so it's very, yeah, very much intuitive. Um, and then I kind of like, I it, later, now that I've learned to listen and work with my intuition a bit more, it's like, I'll feel it. I'll then put some seeds out, see what comes back, and then reflect on what were the signals and signs that I got back instead of just blindly going down a path because I think that's the right way. It's being open to like, well, maybe not, that's not what I think it is, but let me try it out. And then you, you kind of mentioned um, essentially that you trust your intuition more, the, more these days. And um, I mean, I think that's similar to a lot of people is you kind of, you learn to trust yourself, right? And, and learn to trust that, that that it comes from experience and comes from a desire to protect you and kind of set you on the right path. Were there any, were there any, uh, experiences in your life that you that you kind of made you step back and say, "Oh, I wish I had trusted my intuition," and and it kind of launched you into a, a greater trust of yourself and your intuition. Yeah. I I try not to live with. Well, I know I try, but I try not to look at things with any like regret. Like there's life decisions that I'm like, oh, I kind of irk at or cringe at. I'm like that was not my best judgment. Um, but I did what I did. I thought, you know, I kind of always say like you, you did with what you thought was the right decision at that time, whether you were inebriated or sober. Um, at that moment, that's what you went with and you've just got to own it. Um, I, I feel like early on in, um, yeah, the one thing that I wish I could wish I had listened to my intuition a bit more was when my book came out, you know, I was 28, I think one of very few female authors on business and unfortunately what had some people in my life that weren't super advocating for that achievement 
um, you know, like what gives you the right to write about this book kind of comments. And that I like, I know they didn't mean to do, or I don't think they realized the impact on that, but it really set my confidence back. And I held back, I held myself back from promoting the book, from talking about it to the point that I actually, you know, just, it started collecting dust as part of my own story when actually it's a huge part of who I am and something I am very proud of. Um, and I, I know that in my early thirties up until it's still something I'm working on, but like putting yourself out there, um, you know, owning your own value. And even though it's, haven't come from the biggest schools or the biggest companies, like just owning your own narrative and being proud of that. I wish, I think I put my intuition down a lot and ignored it to play the safe route. Um, yeah, that's something that I'm trying to lean into. Mm-hmm. as I go into my 40s. Right. Well, I mean, uh, I'm sorry that happened to you, um, but it's it's also, uh, it's not uncommon for for people to put you down for things. And I see, I wrote uh, a piece about it recently. I think it's, I called it Finding Balance. And it's, and, and the, the perspective was that if you're doing something that uh, makes you happy and doesn't harm anyone else, no one has any right to to put you down for it or to, to kind of be negative about your experience and your desires. And and that's a great example when it's, but I can also understand, you know, why you reacted the way you did. And it's, it's difficult because, um, and, and to your kind of point about, you know, uh, doing things and, and, you know, now you wouldn't do the same thing, but back then you might, you, you made mistakes and you made these, these choices that you wouldn't make today, but that's how we learn, right? We, we don't, we don't know any better. We don't know any better. And we only, we only get to know when we experience those things or at least ex- see other people experiencing those things. So um, I, I'm a big believer in uh, in in owning that, as you said, you know, kind of taking responsibility for those actions. Um, but the key being that, of course, that you learn from it. And, uh, you know, something someone said to me early on in, in my career was, you know, everyone makes mistakes. That's that's not, that's human. Um, just don't make the same mistake twice. <laughs> and and, yeah. and I'll admit, I've definitely made the same mistake more than yeah. once uh, on several occasions. <laughs> For the most part, I've I've stuck to that, or at least tried to stick to that. Um, so I'm I'm glad that um, while you had this kind of primary resistance and negative elements of of your book, that you did eventually get it out. And 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 so when you did, um, and when you released it, like what was the like? Did you reflect back on on those negative um, that negative feedback and and approach from people? Uh, yeah, well, it happened after the release. So I released this book. I was so proud, and then everyone was like, "What?" Like how are you writing this book? And yeah, I think I, you know, with wisdom, um, you know, probably what I would encourage someone else to do if they find themselves in that circle is, is find your circle of advocates um, and uh, minimize the noise of people that, you know, are going through their own thing and don't net, well, sometimes they mean what they say, but other times they're just, you know, it's more speaking about some, something they're battling with internally than, you. Um, but I did have a great coach um, at the time who I was like, you know, I I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing, basically. And she was like, well, you have a book with your name on it and it says leader. So that makes you the expert. And so go be the expert. And I feel like I probably needed to hear that every day, um, maybe three times a day for five years for me to get... Uh, get it solidified in my own head. Um, But yeah, maybe the Canadian and 
British humbleness is where I need some of that arrogance in my <laughs> in my arsenal. But sure, uh, and it's I mean, it's that imposter syndrome as well, right? And I know I lived with it for for many years of my life. Um, and uh, I think I'm sure for you, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you grew up in a business family, and it was done a certain way. And one of the things you learned when you got into it was actually that that way wasn't necessarily the best way. And so you're kind of going not just against business practices, but against the family model that's been built and structured over years and years and, and kind of looking at new ways of doing it. And as you say, you're a woman in a small town and kind of even when you got to London, it's there's still those connotations and it, it does. I mean, I can't imagine as a, as a man, um, very privileged in that way, but I can't imagine how difficult that is um, and how consistent it is, especially when you were younger. Um, and, and, you know, people underestimated you more than they should have done. Yeah. And I think it, you know, it still shows up to this day, but it's getting better and better. Thank God. Um, or else I wouldn't have a business, but you know, the, the leadership development or the people you, we tend to associate this role with, um, you know, is typically male is typically older because that's what wisdom looks like. Um, and I remember, so in the early days of the business, you know, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm a super shy person in elementary school. My teacher wrote a note to my mom concerned about me because I never said anything in class. Um, now, in, in at home, I'm like putting on theaters and shows, but in front of people, don't love talking. Um, but that was something I had to get over if I was going to start a company and I have to let people know what I do. So I was saying yes to anyone that would have me talk about leadership and the book. And I spoke at like a young accountants uh, group um, in the city in London. And uh, this young man wrote feedback that I like wanted to frame, which was, it was so refreshing to not have someone like old, white and male with gray hair talk about just aspirational leadership, but actually have someone um, give me practical advice. And I was like, thank you. That's exactly what I'm trying to do here. So that was, it was one of those, those little moments where you're like, I'm doing the right thing. Right. Right. Uh, well, I love that, and um, that that's really nice to get that that um, recognition and um, and kind of bolstering of of belief and ambition. Um, but yeah, the the imposter syndrome is is something that's very 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 difficult to to shake off. And and uh, I know I experience that um, often, um, especially right now as I'm kind of going through a transition myself into this uh, into these endeavors. Um, mm. So um, so how do you think? Um, like in, you've been in London for 12 years now. Um, what are the biggest, like how have your, how has your decision-making process, how has your choice-making process changed in that period of time compared to what you kind of, you came with, which was the or Canada experience. Um, and as you kind of grew into an, uh, an adult and whatnot and grew your business, like how, how did that really, how do you think the culture in London shifted how you thought about things personally and professionally, I guess? I think, well, what I, I love about London was similar to like what you're saying in LA, there's like pockets of areas. And I knew that there was a space for me in London where, you know, they didn't care if I wore jeans on a Tuesday instead of just jeans on a Friday. They wouldn't care that I, you know, didn't go to X university, that I was under a certain age. And I found that in shortage at a product studio called us too um who just looked at me and was like yep she can do the work like 
get her in. Um, and I, I like that's what I was searching for when I left Hudson, when I left Montreal. It was like just give me the place where I can go and win, where people, um, yeah, will just want to see you succeed. Um, so I feel like London has opened my eyes significantly to like the world. Um, in terms of, you know, my friends are from like every different country and, um, it's also facilitated meeting my husband and we come from two very different, uh, cultures and backgrounds. Um, so I think I'm more considerate with my decision-making also having a partner when I moved here, I could just, you know, just going to sell my car and figure it out. Um, my husband is not like that at all. And thank God, because we'd be like city hopping every year. Um, so more considered, um, I think thinking more a bit long-term, I can be quite reactive, like every city I go, I want to move to. Um, but actually slowing that down and, um, thinking about what are the, like, what are the patterns behind these urges and then using that to inform a bigger decision instead of sporadic decisions. Yeah, uh, essentially the parts of you that are, that are crying out for change or adventure or experience. Um, um, and so what about um, your husband? He's from Zimbabwe. Um, has he always lived in London? Um, or was he born in Zimbabwe? What's the... Yeah, so he was born in Zimbabwe and grew up in Harare, uh, came to London for university, and uh, that's when we met. Fantastic. And... and um... And so how has your relationship with him affected your choices, aside from the things you obviously just alluded to? Um, are there, are there uh, any other influences from him that you kind of have shifted how you, you manage things in your life? Yeah. So, um, like I said, we're very different, but we're very similar. And when those um, when those differences work in balance, it's a really beautiful thing because we balance each other out. Like we um, our counselor is like, you were attracted to the opposite version of yourself. So you've got to, you know, figure that out. Um, he is extremely wise and stable force and helps me to go like, okay, calm, like rein it back. What's actually going on here? Um, he has taught me this phenomenal lesson um, that I need to <laughs> learn often. Um, but when you have a similar problem show up in your life uh, more than once, then reflect on what are you doing? Um, what are you putting out there that's creating that scenario to repeat? And once you shift that behavior in yourself, then the pattern stops. Um, and I, yeah, there was a few things that happened last year and, you know, I was venting and, oh, can you believe this person? I, here I am again. And he was like, oh, that's interesting because that person and that person are very different. How come... The outcome's the same. What's the common denominator? And yeah, really great thinker, like helps you process, slows things down instead of just, I'm someone that spends a lot of time in my own head trying to figure it all out, but my husband's very good at getting me to talk it out and process it. Oh, that's that's really helpful. Uh, I, and my partner's great at that as well and uh, encouraging me there. Um, and, and so one of the things that made me think of, um, have, have you ever heard of IFS therapy? No. Internal family systems. Um, very quick nutshell. Um, it's uh, yeah, the idea of IFS therapy is the idea that there is the self inside, and then we have all these other parts of us which are, are split between three categories. One are managers, which kind of help you manage the day to day of your life. 
The second are firefighters, which are those things that show up to kind of protect you from certain things. For example, drugs and alcohol and, and whatever, or moving to another country, right? Things like that. Um, or, yeah. or And the third category is exiles, which are those things that are generally inspired by trauma. And, um, and they're the things that the firefighters and managers are often protecting and the things that we kind of push to the, push to the back and, you know, until we deal with the parts or have a relationship with them, we can't deal with the exiles. So kind of, uh, I, I say that because, um, it's the way I think about a lot of things and, and I think about myself and what part of me is showing up that way. And, and you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, a couple of things within yourself that, uh, you know, oh, it keeps happening with this person, this person, even though they're so different and it. To me, it just reminded me of a part in you, right? That 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 part is triggered because of this similar thing in all of these people, or whatever the action is. So, um, yeah. I, I, no no follow up question there, but that's just how I how I kind of think about things. Um, and if I mention parts, that's that's why, and that's the context there. Um, I highly recommend that. looking into it. By the way, it's an amazing amazing form of therapy, um, and it's becoming very very popular now as well. It's kind of I think it's going to hit the the zeitgeist very soon, but we'll see. Let's go, let's go more into your childhood a little bit. And, um, I'd love to know what you, what the first choice you remember making is. And, and it doesn't need to be the first choice you ever made, but I guess the first thing that, that jumps out to you is as you kind of taking authority and taking control and saying, I do, or I do not want to do this, or I'm going to, or I'm not going to do this. Is there anything that springs mm -hmm. to mind there? Yeah. Um, actually, so I, um, my mom like involved put me in everything like all the things and um one uh thing that she got put me into was brownies like the girls equivalent of scouts mm -hmm. and i remember like it was in the bottom of a basement and we went down there and everyone was like in flow in their brownie flow and they were singing and I just remember being like, I do not want to do this. This is no, like everything else that you put me into, like ballet, whatever, like I can get my head around, but this is not for me. Um, So we leave and I s express, I don't want to do brownies. And she was like, well, that's awkward because the only reason I could get you in, because I was late to signing you up, um, was that I had to volunteer as a counselor so we're stuck. You're stuck doing brownies until the end of this, like, I don't know, brownie semester. And I was like, okay, cool. So I went to all the brownie things, like, ugh, anyways, did them all. And then on the lap, my mom was hoping that if, she, if, you know, like her rationale was if she, you know, sticks to it, she'll end up liking it and it will be fine. Uh, but I said nothing in between. And then on the last day we close up we leave we get in the car and I was like handed over my uniform I was like here you go I'm done so I did not forget the promise but I was I was done but yeah and then was your mom done then as well did she finish that semester or did she go and do more uh I think she was also done she was also done and, and so so look I mean you essentially chose to to put yourself um through an uncomfortable situation, right? For I'm guessing months, months of experience. Um, why? Like, why did you? Why did you think? Okay, look, I, mum's awkwardness is more important than my comfort, right? That was a, as I see it, the decision you made. 
what 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 do you think sparked that decision and kind of sending that direction? I've, I mean, that sentence uh, summarizes me as a child. <laughs> like, right. um, so okay, I'm I'm was a very good kid in the sense that, um, you know, well, if mom says so, then I will do it. I remember having a friend about 15, 16, and she came over. She was very, like, she spoke to her parents as if they were all, you know, on the same page and, like, told them no and swore at them. And I remember being like, what? That's an option? And, yeah, she came over to my house. Like, you know, my mom said something or whatever and said we couldn't do something. And I really wanted to do it. And she was like, why don't you just say, like, why don't you just speak back? Um, so probably around 15, 16, I started talking back, um, found my voice and, uh, got my independence. Right. You realized you could, essentially before that you didn't know any better, but you couldn't, you had a choice. Right. And, and I mean, often we don't really when we're kids, right. We're at the behest of our parents for, for better or worse. Um, all right. So, okay. So it was a friend that really kind of opened your eyes to this possibility of kind of choosing your own path. And, and do you think then, because it wasn't that many years after that really that you decided to leave or you at least knew you wanted to leave wanted to get out do you think that was partly inspired by that as well this just kind of wanting to break away from this structure and this need of family yeah that family and and friends um i think that also is one of the potential downsides to being in a small town is you become associated with those that are there and um i think looking back you know, with what I know about myself now, I was in the wrong friendship group. Like mm -hmm. I was listening to Green Day and Rage Against the Machine, and my friends were listening to the Backstreet Boys and InSync. Like I was just a fish out of water. Um, and I remember, like, I I actually after right after university, I went to live in D.C. for a little bit, a little sub chapter, um, but couldn't get a U.S. visa at the time. Um, so just stayed stayed as long as I could. And I met someone there who was also Canadian at a Canadian in, in DC group. And that was the first person that I felt, oh, this is what friendship is like. And when I started talking about some of the things, you know, my friends would say and little comments, she was like, dude, that is not okay. <laughs> um, so I think it was a combination of, I felt one, being in a small town where your mom is very involved in community, your dad has a business there, your identity is kind of shaped for you. And then also having a group of friends that, you know, wanted to like, they're still all friends, right? So like that kind of keeping things the same was more the motivation it felt like. And I say this to people I mentor now, it was great piece of device I had. I heard in my mid-20s was, you know, some people aren't going to be excited that you change and you're successful and you outgrow them. And they are going to have all sorts of ways of communicating that that may hurt. And sometimes it's the people closest to you that hurt you the most. Um, but, you know, you can't let that stop your growth. And leaving for me was really the only way of like, that sounds corny, but like blossoming into who I was going to become by being on my own, like it was my white piece of page, paper to define, not being defined by people around me. Right, right, and and you know you kind of mentioned the um, the the negative reactions again from friends and whatnot. And uh, 
that's their parts, right? Again, that's the way I look at it. And, and I have a much better sense of that now where I can I can see parts coming out of people and, and, and kind of what they're attempting to do. And, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of those people just, as you said, didn't want to change. They liked the comfort of their life. They liked the security of it, the consistency of it. And um, in in their defense, um, uh, it's it's human. You want safety, security, right? Our, our basic yeah. survival needs, our food, warmth, shelter, and, you know, and comfort, family and, and, and whatnot. And so um, I, I can see why a lot of people are drawn to that. Um, um, but on the other hand, a lot of us aren't like you and I, where we like to go and explore the world and ourselves. Um, and so I'm glad that you kind of had these eye-opening experiences because clearly it's it set you on a path to to uh, a lot of self-awareness and reflection and growth. And, and, and it feels to me like you're just getting started. If you're talking about another big move now, it's kind of, it's all growing in, in a nice way. Yeah, and I think as I was reflecting on um, preparing for this interview, a lot of the big choices that I've made were all about going against the grain. And I think we um, we glamorize what that life looks like, like in the media. You know, I meet people in corporate and they're like, oh, you run your own business? That's the dream. And I'm like, let me tell you how much of a nightmare it is, actually. Um, and... But all of these decisions were very hard because you are going against what the people that have shaped you, molded you, advised you want from you. And that can be a lonely journey, uh, especially when, you know, you're putting, saying no to like that university or saying no to that career defining job um, because of, you know, you believe in you and you believe you're going to go down a different path. You don't know that you don't know that's going to work out as much as you don't know if that's a career defining move, but it's the safer option. And so people want to keep you safe and they want to see you succeed. Um, but yeah, it, going down the other way, the like unconventional way, stepping off the treadmill, whatever you want to say it, I think it's important to let people know that a big, or well, at least from my experience, it's a bit lonely going down that way because also some t some people don't want to see you succeed and when you go back with your tail between your legs they are so quick to bring you back in to that safe space instead of going well actually yeah here's a cup of tea rest up and go back out there which is what we often need right we need that extra encouragement and uh, you kind of said it as uh going against the grain um i, I like to think of it as just doing things your own way Right, which yeah. which is a, which is a context not often associated with that. It's kind of you're pushing back against the status quo, and uh, one of the things we we can be really uh, confident about these days is that it's really important that we that there are people and that most that people do things their own way and kind of and you know march to the beat of their own drum. Um, and and America is obviously one of those countries that's very individual focused, um, and for, again for better or worse. Um, but that's that's uh, again just just nice to hear that you kind of found that awareness and had those experiences in order to kind of get you to where you are now. And and also um, one of the reasons I was interested in talking to you is that uh, these experiences that you're talking about now, I kind of assume there were some, but they led you to this career and life to help people get to this place, to help people to 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 learn these skills um, that they might not have otherwise learned. And, it, and overall improve their lives as well as all the lives of the people that they they influence and whether that's through work or, or personal life um so that's that's amazing to hear um but so when you were 
I'm just going to do one example when you're a kid and one example when you're an adult. But when you talked about the decision um, when you were younger with your mum and about the girl guides, girl guides, right? Wait, yeah, brownies. brownies. The brownies, that's right. That's what we had in England as well with the brownies yeah. and the scouts. Um, so in the brownies, what kind of emotions were coming up when you were kind of firstly pushing back at your mum originally? Um, and then and then I guess at the end when you kind of handed the uniform back, and you're like, look, I told you, here you go. Um. I mean, I I despised it. It I completely loathed brownies. Like the singing in a circle. This also is what inspired me to be a facilitator because I'm like, I will never make anyone sing, scream, or dance in an offsite. Um, but it just was so, you know. I I read um, Susan Cain's Quiet like five or seven years ago, and I was like, well, this explains my whole life because I was. <laughs> clearly an introvert, clearly like highly sensitive on the spectrum. So then doing these like high sensory group experiences, lots of talking. And that's all I remember. Um, and I couldn't braid, a, I couldn't braid hair. And that's like the activity we were doing. And I just felt like a failure. Um, anyways, so it just no good feeling from what I remember about brownies um, came from that experience. And but I obviously was experience a lot of tolerance in order to get through, um, which is not a bad thing to have uh, because not everything is going to be fun and not everything you're going to do is comfortable. Um, but yeah, I think when I, I just wanted to leave, um, at the end, it felt like I had done my duty and I was now a free, free from boundaries person. And and did it did it create any friction? Like because you were tolerating and you weren't comfortable and weren't happy in that environment, did it create any friction in with, between you and your mum, for example, or any other part of your life? Do you think? Uh, a thousand percent. Um, a thousand percent. I mean, this is <laughs> it's a a top of mind story because of some therapies I've been doing. Where that goes back into childhood, and you're like, oh my god, yeah, I'm, force me into that, force me into this. So. I, I also think there, you know, I believe that when I think of the way my mom was raised, I got the much better version of that experience. So it's not like designed to be with intent. Um, but, you know, my mom didn't get these opportunities to do these things. So like she and she's very extroverted person. So like, yeah, let's, you know, let's both experience this together. So it was with the best of intention, but we probably would have been better just playing chess. Right, like right. Yeah, and and that's uh, that's the thing as well. Like, um, and when I have these conversations, and I and I think about my own past and my own family and whatnot, it's it's uh, it's never um, from at least I never think about it from the perspective of they're trying to do me harm, right? They're trying to do this. It's, it's they they did their best, uh, you know, in in whatever the circumstance was, and and that's that's but that knowing that um, is very comforting at the very least. Yeah, yeah, and like to be, you know, they've they've influenced how I make decisions significantly because a lot of, they gave me a huge reign of independence to make quite risky behaviors as a young woman on her own. Um, like I was saying to my husband the other day, I'm like, my dad, we were in London. I was like 15 or 16, no cell phones. We were walking around Oxford Street and I had a flashback. I'm like, I remember getting lost in Covent Garden. My dad let me go walk around by myself. And I'm like, I could not imagine and I ended up in like the bad part of Tottenham Court Road and being like, Ooh, but found my way back. Um, so they also gave me a huge 
and they were like risky. You know, they moved countries. That was totally part of the narrative. They encouraged me to travel. Um, so in so many ways, you know, they shaped in a good way um, mm -hmm. how I approach life and the decisions I make. Well, it seems to me like they did a great job. Um, so kudos to them. Um, and then so what about um, maybe a decision you've made recently, a bigger decision and um, kind of give us a sense of something that's that's affected you. Um, and then I guess uh, touching on the emotions that you kind of come up when you're making decisions these days. Um, mm. You know, knowing that you have a better sense of your intuition, you have more trust in yourself and more experience. Do you know, do you think about things differently? Do you, do you have less fear, less anxiety, for example? I think, um, I think when with the experience, and this is also like a bit of wisdom I got along the way, that's helpful when making big decisions is, you know, what if you just trusted that everything you did up until this point was going to support you no matter what happens. And so whenever I'm, I'm, you know, still have a lot of anxieties, like running a business through a pandemic. And then now whatever this looming recession that won't stop is, um, you know, create it's, it's not a boom. Um, there's so much uncertainty. It's been constant uncertainty. Um, so the anxiety is still there, but that you, this inner belief that you'll work it out and you'll figure it out is what, you know, keeps going. Um, actually there was a recent, I'd say decision in very recent, cause it was last week or the past two weeks where, you know, I've been running this business for five years. Um, I've just kind of felt recently in the past six months that like, yeah, I don't know if this is still exciting for me. Like I love my clients. I love the freedom I've been able to build, but I don't feel like all my skill sets are being utilized. Um, so I, what I'll do is I will feel that first in my, like in my body and then not talk about it out loud for a while to see if it's a passing thought or is this a real, is this is a real thing. Um, then the next step is to open it up to my husband and be like, so I'm thinking, you know, I'm not sure about this. And then he's really good at ping ponging with me because I think it's important not to act on some of those fleeting thoughts, especially that are ones that are trying to protect you. Um, so I'm like, is this something because the, uh, the, gr the grass feels safer and more comfortable or is this really a sound decision that, you know, it's going to take me towards my, my goals and ambitions. Um, so spoke to him, then was like, okay, I'll see, see what comes up. I'm always like, I believe in, you know, the universe and all that stuff, like see what comes through my inbox or see who I talk to. And then, um, two weeks ago I had, I met up with two friends who are both entrepreneurs and for the first time said it out loud, like I'm thinking of, you know, maybe selling off the company or, um, getting, getting acquired or going back into a role and a, both of them had in different ways gave me very similar advice, um, which was maybe not do that. Um, they didn't say no, but I, I, over the weekend, I reflected on those two conversations and, you know, the pattern in, in those, in that, um, feedback was maybe see what, if you can leverage what you've done differently so that it works better for you. Um, and yeah, I was like, okay, 
I'm going to take that as a sign actually to double down. And so the following week, what was interesting was I had two conversations with former clients and they both are were in a position where they're looking for their next thing. They don't know what that's going to be. They kind of want to try consulting, but they don't want to set, start a brand. And I was like, would you be interested in somehow figuring out how to work with me? And they're like, oh, I would love that. So that's now like that's such a, a timely like moment where I can talk you through my decision process because basically it was a a seed I had maybe a year plus ago. Then um yeah, talk about it with a close person. In this case it's my husband, um, and then start circulating it. But instead of like going to action, you're really just testing and seeing what comes back. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that like I just still don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm it gave me energy to put it back into my business and like you know I've been posting like on LinkedIn like crazy like now I'm like all in like let's see what we can do with it um and feel re-energized and re-inspired um so yeah so opportunities come from so many surprising places that I think being open and another thing that I tend to do is just say yes like if someone puts out an opportunity like yeah I'll do it I'll figure it out um my husband was laughing at me last night because I'm putting together a, a round table for marketing leaders. He's like, have you done this before? I'm like, no. He's like, so what are you going to do? I'm like, I'll figure it out. He's And he chuckled. I was like, what? He's like, you're just so funny because he's someone that needs to know exactly what he's going to do, You know, who's going to be there, what's going to happen before he even sends out an invite. Whereas I'm like, I'll figure it out. It will be great, but I want to do this, so we're going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. And um what I'm going to pull out, the big piece I'm going to pull out there um, is, you know, when you were younger and um, kind of wanting to travel and move away and do all these things, it it felt it it felt like more of a a quick decision. Like it was like you know you 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 decided this is what I want to do and now I'm going to do it. Now uh, at the place you are now, it sounds like this has been something you've been mulling on for a year, and there's been a real process from it of of self reflection to then kind of opening the, the doorway to your husband to kind of get into it and then your friends who are obviously friends very deliberate um, because they're yeah. experienced in in what you're involved in so um, it sounds to me like your decision making process has matured a hell of a lot over the years and you have a pretty good regime about that now um, I love that that's that's really fantastic and, and nice to hear um, okay um, before we kind of get towards the end of it i'd love to hear more about progressive leadership um this is something that's i think is important um and is interesting to me um it's something i think we need more of in the world but i'd love to hear about um why you believe it's so important um and and then in turn how you approach it um how you approach progressive leadership especially when it comes to people or companies that are resistant to it which i imagine there's a lot of them still yeah, I think so. My in principle, um, from the early days when I started, well, when I realized leadership was my passion, um, it's rooted in the belief, in my my belief that anyone can be a leader. So you know, over a decade ago, when I was looking into this, leadership was often associated with words like charisma and a lot of like extroverted tendencies is what made a great leader. Um, and I didn't love that because it really isolates people, a whole group of people 
um, and the assumption that they can't lead with people. And leadership is all about connection, right? If you can't connect with people, you can't lead them. And how we connect looks different based on who we are as people. So at the core, it's about, one, acknowledging for all of us that, oh, I am a leader. Like It starts with self-leadership. Um, so when I say leadership, it doesn't necessarily mean leading a, per a, a team of people. You can be an IC, you can lead yourself, um, but recognizing that we all have leadership traits in, and capabilities. Um, and then looking at, you know, in a, in, if I go to my, my work is where, um, what kind of leader does the team need from you right now? Um, so I use a very simple pendulum, uh, called on one end, we have directive leadership and on the other end, um, facilitative leadership. And I noticed through my work that folks either defaulted to one style style more than the other and that's fine um but those who were very facilitative were completely incapable of moving into directive and vice versa it was uncomfortable um or great like great story in the start of the pandemic one of the leaders i worked with who's very directive um uh started i think he must have read some article like how to lead in this crisis time. Anyways, I was catching up with members of their team and they're like, yeah, we're kind of like thrown off by something he did the other day in a meeting. I was like, what happened? He's like, well, he's been asking us about our families and how we're doing. And because that was so unlike him, hmm. it almost threw them off a bit when he was trying to be more authentic and be a more facilitative, you know, collaborative leader. Um, so anyways, a great leader for me is able to be directive, is able to be, able to be collaborative, and can swing from one side of the pendulum um, in an authentic and um, you know consistent way. So it doesn't feel like they're having to put on a mask. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not stretchy, and that's something I always try to get leaders to work with. Is you know leadership is uncomfortable, and you know often will shy away from difficult conversations or stepping in front of the crowd in in times where we need to see you. We need to see your face. We need to hear your voice. We can't, if you're introverted and that makes you uncomfortable, like we've got to work on how do we stretch you so that does feel comfortable. And that doesn't mean going off and doing conference road shows, but what's your version of getting that message across that stretches you, um, but doesn't throw you into a position where you feel inauthentic and fake. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, so that's, yeah, my core. Um, I, I feel like the reason why I got into working at tech was one, you know, the corporate world was not um, super adaptive to new ideas or receptive. Um, but the reality is in a technology first or digital first business, you know, building software is not predictable or consistent. And the, um, the, how rapid technology advances as we're seeing with things like chat GBT and AI, God knows what the next thing will be, but it is impossible for a leader of a company to stay informed with absolutely everything that's going on in the business. So it's like business critical that leaders learn how to let go and, and lead, you know, more 
cross-functional matrix organizations so that they need to know what they need to know, but they trust their teams to get that information to them instead of, I see leaders trying to like spread themselves so thin across everything. And I'm like, this is never, you're never going to know enough and you're going to then lose sight of what's coming um, up behind you. And you're going to be Microsoft or you're going to be Skype, <laughs> end up being Skype when Zoom came through. Right. Right. Um, um, well, that's uh, it's all very interesting. And um, I've experienced uh, the spectrum of people that you've talked about. Um, and uh, I, I can absolutely agree that the, uh, like with anything in life, actually, the, the balance is, is essential. And um, while we're each different, um, you're an introvert and I'm also an introvert. And, you know, I need my, I've worked out how to to manage myself, to kind of give myself or restore my energy and be prepared for situations where I do have to speak up and, and whatnot. Um, it is difficult and it takes a lot of work um, and a lot of understanding uh, about yourself and also about what you're trying to achieve, which I'm, I'm sure is a, a big focus of, of the work there. Um, and then so, I mean, do you generally see like a, a pattern in business, um, in corporate business that it, we are leading like genuinely towards more progressive leadership um, because, you know, we, we see negative stories and positive stories all the time, but um, I, you know, it, it feels like we're at the beginning of a, a really big journey here in, in that, and, and it could easily go the other way worse, but, uh, but it also feels like it really could go the good way and, and make life better for everyone. Yeah. I've had some really like big moments in the past five years, especially working in this industry where, I've been like, what's the effing point? Like, I'm just, all these companies are just making the wrong people more wealthy and none of the money is going to actually better society as a whole. Um, there was a moment though that I, that brought me back, which was um, when uh, a former Uber employee wrote a blog post about what they had experienced at Uber. And that was kind of the match like the the spark that uh, got Travis, um, the, the founder of Uber, to leave. And um, I was really excited about that because it showed the power of the people and the power of our voice and applaud the courage of um, people that are willing to speak up. It was the first time uh, that I had seen venture capital people start to worry about who they were investing in because they didn't want to be associated with any bad press. Mm -hmm. And a few founders I was working with at the time were like, do you think we could be on the receiving end of these kinds of articles? And I was like, absolutely. So mm -hmm. let's start changing. So it was like, I hate that it took that to create a change, but I was grateful that the awareness um, had started. Like you are not, for a lot of times, there's people go without any accountability um, to their behaviors. And I think that's still prevalent. It's made me want to leave the world of work completely. Um, it's also made me a very cynical person. And when I hear of the layoff stories that everyone is shocked by or behaviors that happen in offsites, you're like, it's unfortunately not a surprise to me. Um, and that makes me really sad and Want, but at the same time inspires me to keep going and mm -hmm. I work with phenomenal people who want to be better want to lead better teams um, are almost I think too nice and that's one of the things that on that directive side of the pendulum is how to learn to give 
hard feed, like hard news, difficult feedback, and doing that really well with tact and compassion and grace, it is possible. Um, what did someone say recently? Like clarity is kindness. Um, anyways, so yeah, I'm I'm hopeful, but I think the more we speak out about what we have been tolerating, the more um, progress we'll make. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree, and um, I'm I'm an optimist, um, but I'm also a realist. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny balance, um, but I, I look, I, I, um, I, I truly believe that there is um, a lot of good in the world, and then a lot of good in people. And um, but at the same time, um, I think everyone is damaged in their own ways, and 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 forms their own habits and their and their ways to process emotions and and different things in life, and um. Again, as we said earlier, you know, what you don't know, you don't know. You know, you don't know any better, you don't know any better. And um, so um, I'm grateful that uh, these companies have people like you to kind of go in and, and help them steer the ship in the right direction and kind of and move towards a, a more sustainable and enjoyable business for themselves and for the people that work for them and, and ultimately the customer, I'm sure, because, you know, mm. business is only as good as its people. Um, so, and that, and that kind of ends up with the customer. So, all right. Um, before we finish up, I'm just going to ask you a, a couple of, um, questions about, uh, kind of things that have influenced you in your life. Um, and the first really is what's the best advice you've ever received, um, and how it's impacted you over your life? Great question. I think honestly, it's what I shared earlier, which is, you know, that a ability to trust in yourself that all the experiences that you've had up until this point have led you to this point and will show up in a way you didn't expect if things go off course. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also there's no correlation between the amount of worry and the more prepared you will be. That's a good one. Uh, and and uh, one that I think a lot of people could benefit from. Um, okay. And then what about, um, is there any of the advice you've been given that you ignored um, and maybe you later regretted ignoring it? Um, yeah, I think it, uh, when it came to choosing my university, I chose the lesser known one um, because the business program was taught by business people and the more known, the Harvard of Canada or whatever, um, was taught by academics and um a mentor of mine was like you are making they were like well, what do your parents think of this choice and i was like they don't care they're just happy about university and she was like you are making the worst decision of your life this is going to ch- like hold you back um you need to have this university on your cv it's going to open so many doors anyways obviously didn't take that advice but I I wonder, I don't regret it. I loved my experience at Concordia. I thought it was so enriching, so many amazing professors. Um, I didn't have the name brand to rely on to go into the world of work, which I think made me more resilient and stronger. Um, but I often sometimes stop and go, I wonder what my life would have been like if I'd gone down the other route. But mm-hmm. yeah, I owned my choice. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, uh, it's it, it's worked out for you. You have uh, seemingly a great life, and and you're very happy, which is lovely to see. Okay, then last question: um, If you could ask a 
a wise person, and, and when I say wise, I mean an all-knowing being, I guess, anything, what would you ask them? Um, does the sense of like chasing ambition ever stop? Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that? I, you know, I have this fuel or fire inside, like I want to see more, do more, and it never feels like it's satiated. And I'm like, what? The more I do, the more I achieve, like it gets hungrier and hungrier. And I'm like, what is this going to look like, you know, 20 years from now? Or does it, do you ever get to a point where you're like, I'm good now? And I have no desire to move. I have no desire to open a new business. I have no desire to, I'm just, I'm at peace and I'm, I'm, you know, restful. Um, so that, or can you achieve that sense of peace and rest while still striving and achieving? Mm. I'd love oh, to. Know that. I like that a lot. Um, uh, I'm going to guess it, it doesn't stop <laughs> until, <laughs> until you, uh, until you have no choice, um, from outside factors like health and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah. and, uh, I, 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 uh, similar in that, in that there's, I'm always, I'm, I love learning and I love, uh, growing and improving and, and understanding new things. And, um, I've always had that drive, um, uh, it's manifested different ways in my life, but, um, I, I can't see that ever dwindling and, and whether it, it's, you know, manifesting actually in my work or whatever it is, um, there'll always be, at least for me, there'll always be this ambition to, to know and learn more about myself and about the, the rest of the universe, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating, right? And, and it's always the one of the amazing things. I've the one the one of the biggest ironies about humanity to me, and maybe we're on the verge of solving this, is that we have millennia of humanity, of civilizations, and and gaining knowledge and experience. But every time one of us is born, we don't know anything. We don't like, like there may be kind of the generational traumas in us, but we don't we don't know anything, and we all have to go through the same learning experience, which. And everyone obviously has it differently and your parents can't teach you everything. Your friends can't teach you everything. You ultimately have to learn the majority of it from your own experience. And um, yeah, I mean, maybe uh, I've kind of had this joking theory that that one day maybe there's when babies are born, they're kind of implanted with the knowledge of the world and suddenly everyone knows and they can kind of, it, it, unlikely to happen, we'll see. Um, but it's it's But the point is that lack of knowledge about the world and this curiosity like there's you know, we know not point nor not one percent about the world and the universe. So that ambition to know more is always going to be there, um, at least from my perspective. I think, but I like that that I that sentiment. No, um, it, does it always continue? And I guess it will just it will grow and manifest in different ways over time. I'm sure. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I sometimes have this like not enough, never enough sentiment. Like when that fuel gets turns a bit toxic it's like oh god i'll never achieve or um there's you know not enough time or i haven't done enough or shoulda coulda woulda um i think learning to turn that down significantly then i think you achieve that sense of peace and instead it turns into curiosity instead of like mm -hmm. striving yeah um, i mean i've gone through that very recently um and the last article i just released last week um was about my transition into my creative side and um, I, I noted in it how 15 years in film and TV production, um, I, I felt creative desire and I felt an ambition to be creative, but 
more often than not, I'll tell myself, you know, I don't have talent. It's, it's too late for yeah. me or just all yeah. those kind of things. And um, again, you have to know, you have to learn, you have to get to know better about yourself and, and what you're capable of. Um, well, look, this is, this has been amazing and um, it's been lovely to meet you and I'm, and I'm thank you so much for being so open and, and vulnerable and sharing your, your experience and insights. And um, I've really enjoyed it and, and I'm taking a lot away from it um, as I'm sure the audience will as well. Um, so thank you very much. Um, uh, if you want to share your social handles or anything you'd like to promote before we close up, please do. Well, thank you for having me. I think, um, I think it's so important that we're open about our internal realities because what I've found in my work is that most of us are having the same dialogues in our heads and think we're the only ones. So the more we can normalize what's going on up there, uh, I think the better we can all feel and connect. Um, so thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I haven't done a podcast in a long time, um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, for social handles, honestly, the best one to reach me at is uh, LinkedIn. Um, I've decided to double down on one, one particular place, and LinkedIn is that. Um, so you can just search me, Jillian Davis, and I should pop up. I'm wearing a green green shirt, blonde hair, and um, that's where I post most of my work if you want to follow what I'm up to, I've just started, I've committed to writing, um, but only f I'm writing for myself, not for anyone else. So I'm playing back stories and lessons, um, yeah, as a kind of contemplative journal of working as an executive uh, team consultant. I love it. Well, well, thank you very much, and, and um, I'll also put the link in the uh, in, in when this episode goes out as well. Uh, well, thank you so much again, and it's been really lovely, and I wish you all the best. Um, and, uh, and have a lovely evening. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for having me.